Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, Jack Harper and Sean Shoot. This week, the match it will be getting stuck into is 1998's Enemy of the State up against 2014's Edge of Tomorrow as we continue our quest to determine the best action movie since 1990. The first question I'll ask today... Does anyone dislike either of these two films? Because last week did get a bit out of hand. No, I really like both of them. So it's going to be quite a tough one. Really like both of them. Really like. Sheesh. I'm a huge fan of one of them. (laughs) You just sat on a whoopee cushion. No, I'm moving. I'm putting my other headphone back in. (laughs) You caught me unawares. We've already had to restart once as Sean seemingly fell over. So uh, complete transparency there. Anyway, the state will start with that is the highest seed in the equation. Um, I can say now I, um, I hadn't seen either of these two films before we went in, so uh, blank slate for me. Keenan, I know, uh, I won't say fought for it like uh, there was a chance it wasn't going to be included, but Keenan was very keen when we did the selection process for this one to be in there. I took his word for it. We'll get into whether I feel that was a good decision now or not. Um, I mean, full context. It was you said we needed a Will Smith film that wasn't Bad Boys, and I wanted iRobot on the record. iRobot, dog, awful film. One of the films I've seen most in the cinema, I think. You say this like once a week. Yeah, that, and it's always the same ones I mentioned: Dread, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and iRobot. I've never heard you mention iRobot before. You've just added that to the list. I've heard you mention no. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets because it was some kid's birthday party about 85 times. Yeah. Um, I, Robot, I remember being on the, the back row of Gloucester Cinema where great cinema that was. I do miss it. Um, nice and... What, do you mean the... The, the old the, Gloucester before, Cinema, yeah. Before the keys, yeah. Yeah. With, it wasn't raised at all, I don't think. Seats were comfier. And it just had a nice little... You can get quite snug in there. Get quite... As if you're almost at home, kick back. And I remember uh, it was quite busy. And my brother, I believe, tried to uh, climb over the back railing. Thankfully, there was no uh, people in wheelchairs there. But to try and go to the toilet rather than push people out of the way. And uh, slipped over the railing, causing more of a noise in the cinema. So I always go back to that. And it just being a great film. But anyway, we're not covering iRobot today. We are covering Enemy of the State. A lawyer becomes targeted by a corrupt politician and his NSA goons when he accidentally receives key evidence to a politically motivated crime. Goons is a great word if you want to get me hooked into a film. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. And the one in particular who is, I'm going to say, is it Sean Penn's son? Keenan, you might be the one for this. No, James Khan's son. There's, there's two sons in this. But it the is- one that does just look like your quintessential goon. Is that the one with the, with the teeth? He's got... Like He's got yeah, one of the ones with the, the blonde, sticky-up hair. Yeah. It's Gary Busey's son. There we go. I knew it was two two sons. 
So yeah, that's that's the one I'm referring to. Uh, also, shoot, referring to Scott Kahn, my absolute boy, as James Kahn's son. He's an outright legend of the game in his own right. <laughs> Some respect <laughs> on that name. He's in Ocean's <laughs> 11, 12, and 13. No, I, I I completely agree with you, but it was just taken Byron Byron's reference, so that's why. I that's fine. That's fine. I've I actually uh, did approach him for an interview this week, yet to hear back. So uh, in shit. in Entourage as well. Yeah, he plays, a, yeah, he plays a great character in Entourage. Um, I don't think Jack's seen Entourage. No, I haven't. And I've not seen what? the Oceans films, so I'll just check that out there while we're, while we're on. Watch uh, Entourage. Jack, shoot, shoot recommended it for me. It was great. How have you not watched the, the Oceans films as well? I, I feel like I recommended Entourage before Sean. I'm convinced about this. You didn't. You didn't. This, I just. We were on a pod, and Shoot said, "Watch Entourage." I started watching it and it was great because I'd seen the film but not the TV show. There's back at my case that I think people don't listen to me. Uh, anyway, critics' I reviews. I don't have quite the two pages like I had last week, but there were some great ones last week. Um, Scott creates suspense by utilising believable technology and realistic, well-grounded characters. Distinctly uneven, but generally entertaining. Add Smith's lippy innocent and a host of subcontracted indie fresh faces, and you have the Brockheimer formula. Loud, lavish, seemingly efficient, over-large, over-long, over-plotted, safe, and sorry. I I feel that that is accurate in a little tiny way. Obviously, I enjoy the film, but it's very intricate for how the ending ends, where you kind of just... It, obviously we'll get to the ending later in the pod yeah, yeah. but the way it ends the film is so intricate and the way it ends is just kind of like cut and dry you you can tell for me that it definitely is the same director as Man on Fire when you yeah. when you look at the two there's so many little like uh, hallmarks that, that go across the two of them the, like the short shots and then in the transitions he loves the little like blur into focus and um, the big like flashes that he almost does to like overstate the kind of cutting between the scenes. Yeah. And they, they say they're over long, which I know we have rewatchability, but it is very similar to Man on Fire, isn't it? Where there's quite a conscious decision where it's like the second hour of this is going to be absolutely all action. So I'm going to spend at least a good half an hour here making sure for one, you like the character, and two, everything's set in place so you can just have a roller coaster finish. Yeah, definitely. Um, since Scott could not make this film snap, crackle, or pop faster or more loudly, you might find the evening a bit light. Harsh, oh, sure. yeah. High production values and Gene Hackman are the only things that stand out in this run of the mill Hollywood paranoia thriller. The unimaginative plot consists mostly of Will Smith being chased around by government agents. We just said different there for the start. Um, the movie has plenty of high-tech power, spinning out action so explosive you'll hardly notice how preposterous the story is or how cardboard thin the characters are. What do you say about a movie that sends you home in a frenzy to search for bugs? In the new age of Big Brother, that's entertainment. You searched your house for bugs, Keenan? No, funnily enough. I don't know if anyone wants to listen to me singing to myself and fucking panting whilst I wank, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I do have my 
I do have blue tack over my webcam. I'm not risking anything. There are people. <laughs> I was there are people. I think you were one of the first people to do that. The people I work with are obsessed that the company I work for might be monitoring them through their webcam. Oh, Byron, didn't you tell the story yeah. about when yeah. you thought you got caught as well? Yeah. Um, so there was a email scam, which I know other people have had uh, the same since. <laughs> <laughs> what? I think I know what you're going to say. Oh, please yeah, let so me be right. I remember having this um, this this thing up here in my junk email where it was like... Uh, I've been watching you, you dirty boy. <laughs> like, if you don't, <laughs> yes. if you don't transfer me what like two hundred and fifty quid to this PayPal in the next twelve hours, then everyone in your contacts list is going to be receiving this. I remember, think, I remember my heart sinking. I felt proper hot and thinking, I need a shit so bad instantly. <laughs> and then it clicked in my head. I was like, Hang on a minute. My webcam's covered up. There's literally nothing you can see <laughs> through my webcam. And thankfully, I suddenly felt a lot better. And I Googled, yeah. And th- this happens to so many people. If you, you can search and see um, if your info is ever like leaked in anything, yeah, whether it's um, yeah, even things just like Nike, they had all of it taken. It was just username and password. <laughs> or even just they just got an email list and they sent through to loads of people. I remember... Um, Sam, who's been on uh, Spitballing Pod, he had similar, and he said he was thankful that I'd put it in our chat previously because he, he said he would have been thinking, Christ, what the hell am I going to do here if uh, he hadn't seen that <laughs> scam around before? So I just, maybe I there's someone genuinely... listening to this podcast now thinking, oh, <laughs> wiping some sweat from their brow. I genuinely challenge anyone to watch a full video of me. It's not pretty. I won't lie to you. This happened to this happened to someone at Crits. Yeah, know. it did. Yeah, I don't know if you. Oh, you obviously do know it. We must have been about year seven, so we could only have been about twelve, thirteen. And um, everyone in the year got sent the photos because he didn't succumb to the blackmail. And I don't understand how we didn't bring that up more often. It kind of just got forgotten. You'd think. The things that did well, get brought up quite regularly. The, the kid that it was had a habit of finding himself in situations, so I just think <laughs> it, it was he just put himself in enough situations where it's like, right, what what do we go for today? <laughs> yeah, because maybe it was one of those we just got desensitized to him down the line, like oh, another sexually deviant position to put himself in. There's a kid from there's a kid from secondary school who um, I still get junk email from where he was clearly like hacked back in the day, and it just sends like a dead link to uh, must just be to all of his contacts probably from like MSN back in the day, because I just get his name pop up and just a link in the subject and I've obviously never clicked it. I'm sure he probably had the same. I was foolish enough to click it, but um, yeah. Don't click things uh, that get into your email inbox, I guess, is the, the moral here. Um, five times better than Bruckheimer's previous embarrassment, Armageddon. Of course, that isn't to say that it's actually good. It's just saying that it isn't terrible. <laughs> and finally, it's a popcorn thriller with a wonderful performance by the warm and fuzzy Will Smith, who proves you don't need big muscles, a large piece don't know if that was meant different back in 2004 or whatever this review was written, or even military training to be an uncommon hero. 
because there was a story about Will Smith taking it to his leg when he runs at one point, so I don't know if that was an issue. There you go, Sean. You can be an action hero. You don't need a big piece. (laughs) (laughs) A large piece. Um, I will say here, there were some positive reviews, but the ones that were positive were largely of the, yeah, this isn't a bad film kind of thing. There was none like glowing for this, but then it's one of it does have a good score on IMDb, um, and the audience score on just about every site you go to to look at review here is positive. So it's one of these where critics, as we always say, must have just been expecting something different, or they try to outsmart the viewer. Like if they think if they can understand it, maybe it's like this wasn't clever enough. Because I don't know what they were going and expecting like i see that synopsis a lawyer is targeted by a corrupt politician is nsa goons when he receives key key evidence that's what you get i don't see anything different i agree i think it's kind of like a sign of the times isn't it because around that era like between 1990 and i'd say about 2005 you had really good original idea films coming out and everyone was as good as always better than the next and maybe it just didn't like man on fire or something like that. it didn't live up to the bill whereas now most of the new films that are like getting all the headlines are either really obscure ones like tenet which is obscure to the max and then like superhero movies and then remakes back yeah. then just the kind of original idea factory was i guess this was quite fresh with um the context of going for like the digital um, era and this kind of thing. But I do get what you mean in that there does seem to be a formula for most of these, which started in Die Hard and you got a load of Die Hard ripoffs and then you got probably somewhere in between when yeah. it comes to this stage. And it's only when you get to probably Born Identity. And if you remember when we did the reviews there, almost every review was like, this is such a breath of fresh air. And the formula still, you've got car chases in this, you've got chases in this, you've got witty dialogue. I don't know what, unless it's just the runtime, two hours, 12 minutes, I, I don't see it being I too different to what these people I, are probably praising. I think as well, it's, I guess it's. it was my first time watching it, and I can't believe I haven't seen it before, but I reckon if it was done now, it would have a better reception, because... Back then, everyone's probably thinking, the NSA does that? Nah, never happened. That never happens. This is so far-fetched. There's no way that they can do all of these stuff like trackers. Whereas now, because everyone's a bit more switched on to, oh shit, yeah, they're already doing this. They've been doing it for years. I think now they may be a bit more receptive to it. Um, but things like being able to hone in and like track phone calls and like microchip transmitters and everyone's data and privacy is completely under a microscope, essentially. I think back then, people just thought, nah, it's too far-fetched. This just wouldn't happen, not by our government. I've got some trivia here, and then we can get into kind of our thoughts on the film and that kind of thing. So, um, Gene Hackman turned down this movie several times, but was ultimately convinced to sign on after a phone call by director Tony Scott. Will Smith later signed on a relative, uh, so he later signed on post-Independence Day at a bargain price for him then when you look at the figures as to how 
his salary raised after Independence Day. But he took a cut price here because he wanted to work with Gene Hackman. So it was worth Tony Scott making those extra phone calls because he got two for the price of one there. Um, Will Smith improvised Dean's line about buying the lingerie for himself to try cross-dressing on the weekends. He said that the biggest struggle he had with this film was trying to restrain his comedic instincts during a dramatic role. So they gave him some room, I guess, but he did have to tone it back somewhat. Um, the NSA refused to cooperate with the production. Aerial footage of their headquarters in Fort Meade, Maryland, had to be shot from public airspace. Not surprised they, did, they didn't want to tag their name alongside it. Yeah, they don't. Not exactly. <clears throat> don't exactly come out of it too well, do they, really? No. Um, Tom Cruise was originally signed on to star in this movie, who we'll get on to later, but had to turn it down because he was still filming Eyes Wide Shut, which came out bit, a year later. Bit of a diff- different film, really. Yeah. Um, the portable video game system that Dean's son uses, in which the disc won't work, is an NEC Turbo Express. It was a Game Boy competitor with the ability to play TurboGrafx-16 games on a colour screen. Uh, but by the time the film premieres, it, uh, it faded into relative obscurity. So it actually made it the perfect piece of tech in hindsight to be for this. Um, the building that served as Brill's workplace was originally a Dr. Pepper factory. So <laughs> a little something for you there. Hans Zimmer was the original composer for the movie, but was eventually replaced by Trevor Rabin and Harry Gregson Williams. No one cares about who composed it, do they, until they see Hans Zimmer's name and then suddenly... People yeah. pretend that's going to be the big game changer for him. Genuinely, I think he's the only composer I could tell you in Hollywood. Yeah, you don't know Trevor Rabin. No, or the other fella, Harry Gregson Williams. Yeah, Can't trust a man him. with a double barrel surname. <laughs> yeah. George Clooney was considered for the role of Robert Clayton Dean. The year before, Clooney starred in another action blockbuster, one of the consensus best films ever made: Batman and Robin. <laughs> you're a fucking idiot <laughs> I will actually commend you on that one <laughs> I like that uh, the cast includes five Oscar winners Gene Hackman, Jason Robards, John Voight Grant Heslov and Regina King and one Oscar nominee Will Smith Sheesh. and uh, finally something if you watch back this film anytime someone says this conversation is over, they die in the next scene. Oh. Oh. Happens twice with uh, Hammersley. He says it at the start as he's walking away and then gets uh, jabbed in the neck. And uh, Rachel says it, and then she's iced in the next scene as well. Hmm. So I did have some thoughts while watching. Um, the first thing I thought is I'd never seen... Um, Lisa Bonet before. I only knew her from hearing her at the start of the Jake Jake Hole song where he says uh, you too young <laughs> for Lisa Bonet. I was just I was um, annoyed you brought that because I was gonna ask you later, like, was that your only regret? <laughs> yeah, but I, I, same, I, I, I saw it on IMDB and was like, that sounds familiar and then, then it clicked. Here's a here's a dime there, so I can see what it'd be a regret for him. Agreed. Keenan, Momoa, she goes out with now, didn't she? Who? She goes out with Jason Momoa, didn't she? Oh, what, a good-looking couple, if so. Am I making that up, or is that, is that a thing? No, that's true. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. 
They've been together for 15 years. Sheesh. The celebrity couple have two children together. And Momoa is also a stepdad to Bonet's daughter, Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> they do look a bit alike now you say it. Yeah, that's a good looking couple. Mm, it certainly is. Um, rather than a swoon over Jason Momoa, I will uh, get to the points I've got written down. The guy at the start who's got the black eye in the uh, well, the first scene when they're chatting across the table is uh, Jackie Aprile's friend in The Sopranos, Keen, if you recognise him. Uh, his name's Matt in The Sopranos, and he's the one who's uh, sweeping the cheese at Silvio's feet in the poker game. No, didn't, didn't clock that, I'll be honest, mate. I'm currently watching The Sopranos for the first time, so please don't say anything. How far in are you? I'm on season two now. Unreal, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is good. It, it was a slow so you, start with, but... It is now, a slow start. It's now Are you more of a, a, a Paulie guy or a Sil, Sil guy? Um, more of a Sil guy, I think. Paulie Walnuts. <laughs> um, so going back to what, what we said at the start, there is only one action scene in roughly the first hour. I'm not counting the um, kind of jab in the neck there. There isn't really much of a struggle there, but you can count that as an action scene if you want to make it two. We don't get a lot, but we do get a lot of uh, at least some like tense dialogue. And I'm not saying I'm bored for the first hour, but we've kind of marked films down for that before, would you say? It's, it's it, like Man on Fire is the perfect comparison. Yeah. And so obviously, it's what, it's what he wants. It was my critique of Man on Fire, wasn't it? The, the first yeah. hour, until you get to the shoot, the, the kidnapping, not a great deal happens. And you outside of, I mean, they do start off. I know it's not really. It is a murder, but it's yeah. quite tame compared to what, what everything else we see. Like when we come to Edge of Tomorrow, the first time yeah. you know, someone dies in that, it, it is quite tame. But then it does just sort of move, moves at quite a, not not the quickest pace, is it? How good was it to see Seth Green back? <laughs> always good mate always good <laughs> my note I wrote down uh, around the first time of seeing any tint on the glasses makes someone in a movie look dangerous yellow glasses I knew he was a bad guy yeah fair apart from Ali G maybe <laughs> he's the exception to the rule and then the only other thing I had down was as I've said there can tell he directed Man on Fire with the transitions and things um, yeah. the average length of the shot time and I only saw this bit of trivia so it doesn't mean a lot I can't compare it to others is um, 2.8 seconds which I can imagine is quite short over the average of a film so he did want to keep it flowing quickly as uh, in the shot selection as well as uh, the way the film's going I can imagine mm. it only speeds up as the film goes Did Sean, did you enjoy the film? Yeah, my first time watching as well. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Great film. Got, you've got a hell of a cast there, haven't you? If you just go down the order of billing on uh, IMDb, you've got Will Smith, Gene Hackman, John Voight, Lisa Bonet, Regina King, who, who, uh, another Oscar winner, um, Jack Black, obviously, Jake Busey, Scott Kahn. There's plenty there. And even if they're not all Oscar winners, there's certainly people where you're like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah. The whole way through. So I would imagine 
a lot of the budget is gone on that, surely. Well, a lot of them are probably like, like the thing is, I mean, Jack Black. It's surely that's fairly early on in Jack Black's career, isn't it? Or is he? Yeah, I would have thought so. Jason Lee as well. I think don't know how big a star he was. Like, he was in a lot of stuff in the night. He was like Morats and Chasing Amy, but I don't I don't know how much of a fee he would have been commanding. Ninety million budget they had. It must have had a turnaround. I don't know if it turned around maybe um, when it went overseas because the opening weekend of, of 20 million, I'm sure they were probably hoping for a lot bigger than that. But then it does go on to make 250 million. So there must have been a point where it picked up there because if you go by those opening weekend numbers, that's not great for a 90 million budget. A lot of the big films we've done here have made their budget about and more in the opening weekend. Yeah, it's weird because I'll deliberately not see a film on its opening weekend because the cinema's too busy. I'll wait two weeks, three weeks to watch a film at the cinema. You just to so avoid, I'm... just avoid Orange Wednesday, and you're good. Yeah, and then I'll like go at like a really anti social time, like four pm on a Sunday. <laughs> Orange Wednesday really was the devil if you actually had an interest in the film, like not something you thought. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go and see that kind of thing. If it was one that you were looking forward to, you avoided that Wednesday like the plague. I saw um, Paranormal Activity 3, I'm going to say, and worst, maybe the worst cinema experience I've ever had. Oh, you would have just had screams talking all through it. There was, a, there was a gypsy family in the cinema in front of me who were cocking their leg up and farting in the middle of the film. Easy. I remember going to see Paranormal Activity, I think it was 2, I don't know if it was one but there was like 18 of us that went straight after school and we were just causing absolute havoc like crawling around on the floor and all sorts disgrace yeah if i look back on it now and i would have hated 15 year old me longest we mentioned paranormal activity without mentioning alex prying so uh <laughs> getting there sean what is this do you mean we've said this on the pod several times i've Paranormal Activity, well, Sean, you're probably best to say. I don't know if Keenan knows this. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was Paranormal Activity 1. So, again, going to the cinema to watch it. And then quite a few, a, a group of us went. Uh, it must have been like, I don't know, close to 10 people probably. Um, and then we went and then we were watching it. And then like, we, just, we just looked. I think TK was probably sat near me. So we looked to our left. And then Alex is practically on the seat of this girl crying. With the girl crying as well. It's like, it's probably, I don't know what one of the scenes, probably when it first starts going dark. Um, but yeah, he just, they're both crying. <laughs> he, he denies it now, but if you ask, uh, if you ask Hugo or anyone that was there, um, yeah, he was in tears. <laughs> what, from fright? Yeah, yeah. Not laughter. I got, like I got actual, like emotionally actual, involved in Yeah, emotionally involved. Thank you. Um, with this, uh, the action scenes, that, that first chase scene where he has it dropped in his pocket is, is up there with, with the best chase scenes I think I've ever seen. Everything yeah, I mean, about it. So his, as in Will, Will Smith's chase scene? No, um, the, the, the kid running yeah. with uh, it, the, the disc. So he's actually, that kid who runs with the disc is the guy who plays My Name Is Earl. I did see this when I went to message for an interview. <laughs> <Is it? laughs> yeah, it's Jason Lee. Yeah. <laughs> so I literally could not believe it. 
Yeah, that's what I said. He became quite big, but this was pre. Well, yeah, in this film, yeah. they wouldn't have had to yeah. pay him a lot. Yeah, I was he like, was at the screen. I was like, surely not. And then uh, Jason pointed out that it indeed was him. Yeah, he's quite famous. He was, Never he's still quite famous. Well, my name is R. Yeah. Oh, I loved um, it. I just remember being, being shouted at a kid again from our school. Oh, I'm set maths, Jack, if you, before you well, moved up, I think. My name is Ill. Yeah. I mean, he's probably much to anyone else, so I won't go into the story. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that chase, the way they shot it, I love the shots where, again, running through a kitchen. Why any time anyone runs through a kitchen in a film, the kitchen staff, just don't bat an eyelid. They just carry on working as if someone's running through. Isn't completely bizarre. <laughs> if you're working in the kitchen, what are you what are you gonna do? I mean, in America as well. I imagine... If you're in an office and someone just just ran through your office. <laughs> yeah, but usually a kitchen's quite a compact space, isn't it? So it's like by the time that he's in, you've registered, they're gone. Yeah, but so they don't think... even look around like what the hell is happening. They... <laughs> it's also it's also a miracle how many people manage to run clean through a working kitchen. Yeah. So for, for those for those fifteen seconds or whatever it is, not one person needed we to should, move, grab, grab something. We should test this out as a pod at some point when things start to open up again. Just run run through a restaurant kitchen and see what happens. Go and see. Go and see if we can fire through Nando's kitchen. We love bringing back balls of steel. Mm. <laughs> Agreed. Only one of our name rhymes with Nedge. <laughs> uh, would be nice. Yeah, complete what a show that was. That was unreal, wasn't it? The yeah. pain men, honestly. <laughs> what blokes. Caden can be that that bird that was just sent around to uh, seduce everyone's bloke. Keenan, you yeah. can go and charm people's girlfriends. Fucking hell. Have to, over the, have to be over the phone, mate. The visuals aren't doing a lot for me. <laughs> they're, they're, the pair called the fuckers, and they would literally just go around and do like house viewings and stuff and just start shagging. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be able to get away with that now. Obviously yeah. you're not, mate. <laughs> the annoying devil that went was unreal. Where he just says it on one bloke. <laughs> mate, like, I actually like to play golf as well. I would probably, I, and I'm awful at it. If someone was letting that air on go whilst I'm in my back, I'd probably cry. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if we go on to uh, the categories, so Rewatchability. So, as I said, two hours, 12 minutes for this. Keenan, as a big fan of the film, mm-hmm. do you consider it rewatchable? I'll rewatch it. It's not, it wouldn't be, probably, it wouldn't be first on my list, but it's, if I saw it, if I if I know it's going to be on, it's strange actually, because I forget, I like even when we were picking out the selections and we went through it, I went through about three Will Smith films before I thought of Enemy of the State, but as soon as I know it's on, I'm committed to it for the full two hours. I got it confused on paper with State of Play, having seen neither. I don't know what State of Play is. It's, no, um, it's no, Russell no, no. Crowe. And... Good film. Recommend that, it. It's not the one about the kidnapping, is it? Russell no. Crowe and Rachel McAdams. No, need nothing to do, When a congressional aide is killed, a Washington, D.C. journalist starts investigating the case involving a representative, his old college friend. I mean, it's not good. Why is this not in the bracket? It is It's not too dissimilar. I was going to say, it's more of a thriller than it is an action movie. Yeah, it's on crime, I'll just say. It's a lot of, like, reportive journalism and stuff like that. There's, like, a a lot of action scenes, but it's more about how they get. We've had our Russell Crowe fix in this bracket. 
Jack, I, I think Dread's the only film you've not declared as rewatchable yet. Do you consider State of Play, not oh, going off that, <laughs> Enemy of the State to, to be a rewatchable film? I do, yeah. I think I thought it was brilliant. I was hooked. I was, told you you'd like it. It's one of those. It's one of those thriller action movies that, when you're watching it and there's like a really tense scene, you start getting hot, and you're like really rooting for the good guy. And that was Lisa Bonet for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was like it had had all of it, so I would definitely consider it rewatchable. I would rewatch it, but I, I don't think it's got great rewatchability. I think when you're it's... watching it, I don't. Sorry, I was going to say just for thinking on it. When um when I'm watching it, doesn't seem like two hours. The actual no, it thought, didn't feel long to me. The thought of the 132 minute runtime would put would put me off more than the actual film. I think re, re rewatchability. I think the first hour or however long it takes. Um, I I think I would just pick something else that was say an hour 36. I get and, uh, so I liked it, but rewatchability, I, I think it would be lower down for me if we were ranking the, the ones in the bracket. What about you, Sean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, a, well, I said I'm a big fan, so I, I definitely rewatch it again. Obviously, it's, it's yeah, as Keenan said, maybe it's not the first on your list, but I enjoyed it and would definitely watch it again. I think it's and I think it's got that rewatchable factor. I don't think I would even as we talked about that first hour maybe not being kind of full of action, I still think there's enough there and it's still tense and it's setting things up that yeah, I could easily watch it again. So I I spoke to Keenan in the week and I said that I think maybe something that may go against it now, um, and something that Jack referenced, is that it's not quite as uh, unbelievable now. That all this is happening but it's almost the other way in that we're actually just quite accepting these days that all of our information is out there there's certain things we want to keep private but we're, we, we understand that there's only so much you can keep private so you know that most things you, you type into google if someone really wants to find that out they're going to find that out most things your location settings on your phone and this kind of thing so a satellite above the earth beaming down on you maybe isn't quite such a scary thing as it is in the film and I don't know if people watching that today it goes against it for it maybe maybe possibly possibly um <clears throat> there's another film that I really want Byron to let me do on the pod but yet to if you ever watch Heat or any old police film where they're surveilling people as well I would not let you do it it part it doesn't fit into this I mean, it is an action film and it would have fit into it, but whatever. Um, any you film. that had big rewatchability, I'd have slapped you through the screen. I love Heat. I have seen it probably seven or eight times, if not more. Yeah. Still would have been rash. Love it. Um, there is but yeah, a... any... I'm sorry, man. Go on. I was going to say, there is a future sequel in the works, apparently. Um, so... The plan is going to be for Will Smith to reprise his role as Robert Clayton Dean, who after the unraveling of the conspiracy at the centre of the first movie, now works for the government and is sent to track down a young man accused of committing a cybercrime. Of course, the man turns out to be innocent, and Will Smith's character ends up helping him clear his name. 
presumably as they try to obey the shadowy forces sent after them by the government. So they say that Will Smith is essentially going into the Gene Hackman role, and the person eyed up and being touted to be in the Will Smith role is Michael B. Jordan. Um, so it'd be the first time you see those two team up on screen. Um, it would capture the people that are interested in the first film, and Michael B. Jordan's star power is among the top people in Hollywood right now, so it would guarantee an audience an audience for the movie and they just feel that with the advances in technology now it is plausible to do a film with the same feel as the first one but also do it completely different so how do you feel about that i'd watch it you'd what you do you'd watch it does it excite you the potential of a sequel or is it like okay. um the the thought of it yes but you i'm always wary that there is a big chance that I know you just said that they think it'd be they can make it different, but there's a big chance that it just feels very samey. So I'd be interested. I'd be be wary a little bit until I've, until until you knew, could know a little bit more. Unfortunately, I mean they wouldn't be able to get Tony Scott back. Obviously, he died in 2012, so it wouldn't be quite the same. And no. you would say a lot of the ways as to which this is filmed. If you do that now, people hate that kind of thing. The OTT kind of in-your-face things between between cuts. So they probably have to be careful as to who they brought in to do it. I didn't know he committed suicide. Christ. Yeah, Tony Scott, yeah. Yeah. Jumped yeah. off the Vincent Thomas Bridge. Yeah. Quite a big news at the time. 68 at the time. Jesus. Yeah, they always said he a little bit troubled, to be yeah. fair. Well, I mean, a Will Smith, Michael B. Jordan team-up is going to sell. So they've got that yeah. for sure. The opening weekend figures would be a lot different. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that depends whether they still cinemas for them to release it into, but that's a story for another time. If we go into the quotes then, going to be largely Will Smith-centric, I would say. Um, you want to start us off, Keenan? Yeah. What happened? You blew up. The, uh, sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. What happened there? You you blew up the building. Yeah, I did blow up the building. Why? Because you made a phone call. Is one of the quotes that I will always remember from this film. He repeats, doesn't he? You're either very smart or incredibly stupid. <laughs> yeah, How do you feel about punchline, uh, like catchphrases, where it's quite clearly being inserted as a catchphrase kind of thing? Um, I mean, I, when I was watching this, I but didn't even enter my mind. If I'm honest, man, didn't even think. So about when it. he said it the second time around, yeah, did did honestly didn't even think about it. Just get caught. I do get, but I do get wrapped up when I'm watching this film. So it wasn't probably not the best person to do a pod on it because the things that you're talking about, like sort of objectively and analytically, just don't enter my I don't enter my head. I just enjoy it. It's one of them I just enjoy and just sit and watch for two hours. What about his, his exchange when uh, he's being quizzed about uh, having an affair with Rachel? I'll tell you what, Rachel was my girlfriend in my second year of law school, and then he says, did you have an affair with her four years ago? And he says, you ever beat off in a shower, Brian? Ever any homosexual thoughts? <laughs> and then he carries on telling us none of his damn good. business. That is good. Yeah. Uh, when, uh, how do you like when, uh, when Regina King says... Uh, they're not chasing me out of my house. I picked those drapes. <laughs> 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 that's, 
And then he rightly says, like, who cares about the drink? Like, what a weird thing to say. <laughs> You're the only woman for me, you and Janet Jackson. How much does that date this film? Well, he, he later went on starring a film with her as well. And so did she, I think. Mm. Who's your Maybe fucking you. acquaintance? It's like quotes, or are you just you getting it keen? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a quote, isn't it? It's what the, uh, the, mob, the mob guy says. Paulie Pintero. And then, well, where, the do you, where, where do you rate that in terms of the names of movie mob bosses by Paulie Pintero? That's a good name. Yeah, Paulie's strong. always a good one, isn't it? Yeah, it's just easy. And they're all, all called Paulie, I swear. I did like um, Jack Black saying, Rachel F for you know what banks. God, well, I'd love to have every in my life. <laughs> His uh, discussion with the lingerie sales girl saying about size. It's more about cup size. Isn't it? No, she's much bigger than that. The look on the woman's face. <laughs> <laughs> um, just change a bit. I mean, do you want to do the whole edible edible lingerie quote? I don't personally. <laughs> you, you, you can give us two different voices. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I can. <clears throat> <laughs> but wait there, let's see. Uh, I've got to find it in my notes. Uh, can I find it? Oh, shopping for some lingerie. That's still legal, isn't it? There you go. Wait up. Still Are you buying that for house. your wife? No. I was picking up something for myself. I do a little cross-dressing on the weekends, you know. You'd be surprised how a nice pair of edible panties can make a guy feel sexy. Isn't that right, Sean? <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> the only privacy then... that's left is the inside of your head. Maybe that's enough. It's a great quote. They use that as one of the taglines for the film, actually. When they're doing the uh, surveillance, I think you're a little young to watch this part. So she and Jack Black again. Please let me follow the nanny. She doesn't shave her legs. Women like that are so hot. (laughs) (laughs) Any more for any more? No, I think those are the main ones, really. I believe the term shyster is reserved for attorneys of the (laughs) Jewish persuasion. Uh, I believe the proper term for me is eggplant. Just really like the word shyster. I know it's a bit of a slur, but it just sounds great. So I like Jewish, you can say it. I, I like that kind of monologue that Brill went into when they talk about guerrilla warfare. And he just, I'm not going to repeat it all. Um, but he goes, well, if they're big and you're small, then you're mobile, they're slow. And he just goes on like that. I think that was really good. Because that was like the turning point in the film as well, where they think, right, actually, how do we fight that? And they started kind of bugging the congressman and all of that. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I don't know why these people even lock their houses. If someone wants to get in, they're getting in. Um, Keenan, best moment slash scene? Hmm. Uh, I've got a couple, but the one, again, it's just, this is more because I think about it, is when we are first introduced to my man Brill. All right, all right. Mine's the chase, the first chase. Yeah, also, whenever up. someone does run into the road, you just know, you're just waiting for them to be hit by a car. Every time. Yeah, it is true. Cycling the wrong way also was an accident waiting to happen. Sean, what about you? Yeah, really tough. I'm tempted to go first chase scene, like you said. Um, but I do also like the hotel scene as well. Uh, and then, which obviously leads to that, the ambulance chase scene. So, yeah, I, I think I think I'll go for the first chase scene just because it that's when it really starts to, to pick up and then you're really invested in the film. And, and as you touched on, it is probably one of the best 
chase scenes uh, we've done in this bracket. So yeah, I'll go for that one. Jack, what about you? Um, so mine's a toss as well, but I think the scene at the end, the end scene where all hell just fucking breaks loose, and you know when they pull up outside the restaurant why he's gone there, and it all just clicks. And then they kind of go in there and they go, right, we want the tape. And then we're both all talking about different tapes. And the only thing that I didn't like about it was more the sense that they didn't get to expose what had happened. But again, maybe that adds to the fact that none of these actually get exposed. So it could still be happening now kind of kind of thing. But yeah, where they go in with the mob bosses and just get everyone gets blown away basically yeah it couldn't have worked any better by the fact that quite literally everyone dies and not a single bullet goes under the table <laughs> yeah like it's not even like he's protected either it's like, like a cloth that's over it just covering him so it's like the invisibility cloak in harry potter just like it just solves loads of plot holes yeah yeah and he's just creeping out of the end and then just instantly going it's all right he's he's not one of them he's all good oh it's sad <laughs> Seth Green also gets out of that scot-free. Like, he just leaves halfway through the film, and then I swear he isn't even questioned at the end. Yeah, someone's in the room with Jack Black, but I can't remember. Maybe Scott Green's a smart guy. Um, Also, I don't have the body count for this, but I imagine it's totted up quite a lot by the end of it. Yeah, it must must be. They certainly make up for the lack of it in the beginning. (laughs) Um, I was going to ask... with, with the next film, how do we do body count? Are we counting it all as one? Or we... You judge by, well, yeah, the body count on screen, but I guess but, we'll uh, cross that bridge when we come to it. Constantly. So <laughs> yeah. is, does it count as one or does it count as multiple? We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Anyway, so Edge of Tomorrow, Tom Cruise, 2014. A soldier fighting aliens gets to relive the same day over and over and over again. The same day restarting every time he dies. Um, first thing that really plagued this film, um, the marketing, which we mentioned yesterday, Jack, by the fact that you didn't know you'd seen the film, but you actually had because it was called Edge of Tomorrow. A very uninspiring title by the fact that it doesn't really give you anything as to what the film is. Um, the tagline was live, die, repeat, wasn't it? And about halfway through um, selling this film, they realised this actually isn't working. And so on all the posters from there on, on the spine of the DVD and all of this, what you've got is you've got Edge of Tomorrow in like the tiniest font you can, like small print, and then live, die, repeat in just massive letters alongside it. So it has just properly confused people. The trailers were awful because it just looked like Tom Cruise had done Oblivion, which was horrible. And it just looked like a spawn of that. And so I I think it was really hard to get people into the cinema to watch it. But then it had the opposite effect. I know Sean and Alex went to see it at the cinema. It surprised people by how much they enjoyed it. So... Yeah. That was really the best-selling thing for it, was just people saying, that was actually quite good. That actually surprised me. It was better than I thought it would be. And that's really what spread the film. Yeah, that 
that was definitely it. Because I, I said last week that I hadn't seen it, and I genuinely thought I hadn't seen it. But then I looked at it, and I was like, oh, yeah, I have. But it is an enjoyable film. <clears throat> I've got the, the critics' reviews here. So um, unexpectedly clever surprises keep the anticipation and mystification rolling, while the action sequences are plentiful and intense. Edge of Tomorrow is proof once again that crews can certainly be knocked down but can never be counted as completely out. Uh, Lyman deftly orchestrates the destruction, ensuring it doesn't sink into mind-numbing Transformers fare. Blunt and crews invest a great deal of heart in their action heroics, thankfully minimising the hokum romance angle. Romance angle. Um, so if, if you didn't know, this is the same director as um, Born Identity. Mm-hmm. If you can and draw Mr. Any, any comparisons there. And what's his name? Is it Paul Greengrass they went to for the other ones, where they are, as much as they're good, they are quite visibly different from the first. I don't know, mate, to be honest. Pretty sure that's the name. Yeah, yeah, that's the name. Um, it is refreshing, usually, if you can have a man and a woman as the two protagonists and it not lead into the romance angle it does every time. But then they kind of throw that away right at the last minute by yeah. they kiss right at the end. And I'm sure there was a minority of saying, like, waiting for this to happen, but it didn't really add anything to the film. So, Yeah, you put <laughs> attention in because it adds to it, gives it another dimension and they kind of give into it at the end. It's like, oh, yeah. it's the point. Um, the one thing that I don't like about action movies in like this is where you save the world from complete annihilation and no one knows about it. You yeah, want, you want your credit. Yeah, you don't get to show off. Um, and this is one of those movies that falls into that category of he goes back and no one's going to know how amazing he was. <laughs> It's worse for her because she's involved and she doesn't know that she that she helped save the world. Exactly, exactly. And another thing that really threw me with this movie is the geography of it all. Um, they get like I don't oh, know I've got some of this in the trivia. <laughs> all right, okay. I'll um I'll let you spill the beans on that, and then when we come to it, I'll say my bit. That, that there though, with um, her not knowing anything that she did would be like the equivalent to the end of Project X, where he says to his dad, like, you should have seen it. It was incredible. And his dad's just looking completely unimpressed by the fact that he has no clue what's gone on or the carnage that there's been. So who had a worse deal? Her saving the world and not knowing or getting the credit or Thomas Cub's dad having his house trashed? <laughs> How many times? Say again, mate, sorry. What do you think? Didn't hear the question, honestly. Wow. What have you been doing? You snoozing? <laughs> no, no, no. I was listening. I was paying attention to everything. I just missed that question. Don't know what it was. There was um, some noise in the background. So I said, uh, that's Sean. Um, who had a worse deal? Uh, Thomas Cub's dad missing the party in Project Text, but also in his house trashed. Or mm. Emily Blunt in uh, Edge of Tomorrow saving the world, not remembering any of it or giving any credit. Uh, Thomas Cub's dad. Because as far as as far as Emily Blunt's concerned, she's done her job as a soldier regardless, and now we're good to go. In the morning, <laughs> in the morning, his dad still got wake up to the fact that his Merc's fucking three under three foot, six foot of water. <laughs> I was um, I was gonna say um, 
Like, how many times do you think you could go through that same day every time? I think by the fifth time he's done it, I'd have given up. I was just like, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, some, at some point, do you not just wake up in the morning and start topping yourself? And just, oh, just, yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, just get out of the way. Every work. time that guy says maggot as well, he's just like, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> oh. um, it's the same as every time that lad says, yeah, there's a de- it goes to say there's a dead block in it. That's I think I think that's the bit that would kill me the most is just having to listen to people's shit banter a thousand <laughs> <Yeah>. times. <laughs> um, Ed, you, Ed, just tomorrow represents another consistent film from director Doug Lyman. From projects such as The Born Identity, The OC, to Mr. and Mrs. Smith, this film is by far his best work. Yeah, it might be yeah. up when he goes on to make um, America Made with Tom Cruise as well, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, I, I actually really, film, really like it. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah. I think it's a good film, American, and it's like with this film, it feels like it should have been a, have a bigger reception than it got. I feel I, I don't know what it is, but like, I was shown it. No one knows about it. Or they I, thought, oh, I don't need to see that. Exactly, and it is a brilliant film that no one knows about because if it wasn't in the bracket, I probably would have never got around to watching it. Yeah, I got shown it on the off chance on a rainy day when Sarah said, "Oh, this is a decent film. We should watch it." many moons ago and I was never one of those films where I thought right that's come out I need to go and see it or this tonight it was one of those like oh should we put this on Um, when the world is crashing to an end I'd like Emily Blunt by my side that critic has been paid to write that I was was about to say was that you or was that a critic I actually assumed I genuinely thought that was you (laughs) Keenan you got really loud all of a sudden oh sorry Uh, I don't know don't know, it's Tony's headphones down, mate, so I'm stuck. It's all right. Um, Sean's been, I don't know what he's been doing, so you put the idea of a tug in his head, I think, and he's, uh, he's been on one. <laughs> it's, uh, it's nice to see a film where outstanding visual effects are in place to support the story and not the other way around. Yeah, I, again, agree with that. I, there was no part of this film where I thought they've written this just for that. It was more of a case of, this is where the story is going, and all of the effects meant yeah. it. There's too many, like Michael Bay is like the arch guy, <laughs> where he writes, yeah, boy. He, yeah he, thinks, <laughs> he thinks of the effects he can fit into this film, and then he'll write a scene around it. The best way, like honestly, the Michael Bay, Alex hates him. The, the Imagination Land episode of South Park, where they get all the directors <laughs> in uh, to try and think of how to beat the uh, terrorists in the Imagination Land. And they've got like Michael Bay, he's like, and then this Aiden Wheeler goes, Bruh! and that is the best way to kind of describe those kind of films. Whereas this, I feel it really does complement the action. I, and I don't think this film could be done without the special effects. No, I can't think of Michael Bay without that Megan Fox interview now. Yeah, that's creepy. Not a great look for creepy him. as sin, man, but uh, it is creepy as sin, but fucking hell, I don't even know how to blow shit, don't even know how to blow shit up. Yeah, that's <laughs> not so not excusing him. I'm just saying, if he's got a talent in life, it's making it, it's making it's making shit blow up. <laughs> so that's where, like when the when the slave trader stuff came out. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is literally it. Yeah, it's just oh, I know he's a slave trader, but phew, built an hospital. Keenan's got a set of scales, and the weights on the one side are uh, blowing things up, and the other side is a uh, did attempt to nonce Megan Fox. And I won't say which way Keenan's scales have gone in favour of. See, that um, seems unnecessary because people are going to listen to this. <laughs> um, 
Before too long, the plot begins to cut significant corners. Things get terribly convenient. And by the end, the suspect plot logic utterly falls apart in favour of an idiotically idiotically beatific ending, which I do have to check the meaning of beatific. It just means like... Beta? So like second? No, it's it's like... uh, I mean, I'm guessing the beat is for beautiful, but it's just like an overly happy kind of uh, expression. Yeah. It seems to know what we've all been forgetting since 1985. Science fiction can be funny, blockbusters can be kooky, and Tom Cruise can and should be a jackass. Why 1985? Nice. Is that Top Gun? Probably. Keep the pace and dialogue snappy enough for a classic screwball comedy, at least until the inevitable overkill of the boombastic finale centred on an alien-infested Louvre. <laughs> the films about aliens. That's just, I don't know why aliens. Well, they did just go. Where can we? Because Doug Lyman, remember, he switched around to bring uh, Born Identity to have it in Paris. Yeah. He's had his fun in Paris, and then he's gone. Let's put aliens in the Louvre. This would be great. Mate, he, I, I respect him for it. I think he just wants to travel. Um. The financial failure of Edge of Tomorrow represents the greatest inverse relationship between quality and ticket sales since Twilight's and breathless teen girls storming into theatres. Going back to the last point, I was thinking, if the, um, what is it? It's not the beta, not the alpha, it's the... Omega. Omega, that's it. If the Omega had gone to, like, some obscure warehouse in the middle of, like, I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've got a point about this as well. Or, or like somewhere like that. If when he has that vision and he can see the Louvre, he's like, right, it's in the fucking Louvre. Let's go to the Louvre. What? Whereas if it was, if it was in like I don't know, King's Ditch Trading Estate or something like that, <laughs> like Tom, Tom Cruise is not going to know where that is. So well, the, funny the, enough, the aliens win. The next review is: uh, Why do invading extraterrestrials always bring with them the single thing that can wipe them out? Couldn't they have hit it on Jupiter or something? <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise, in regards to Oblivion, all is forgiven. <laughs> I've never seen Oblivion, but I assume that means there's not a fan. Don't. It, it was horrible because I, I saw the trailer for Oblivion and I looked at it and I thought, Tom Cruise is playing a character called Jack Harper. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I've got to see the film. And then there's infinite numbers of Jack Harpers in the world. The, the whole planet is just inhabited by people called Jack Harper. And I just yes. thought that really lost its gleam for me. Um, I've never seen it. I don't really do. It had the word Oblivion in the title. I assumed yeah. it was going to be about a sci-fi film, and I don't really do it, yeah. to be honest. There's no question that Doug Lyman's Edge of Tomorrow is a solid one hour and 40 minute movie. Too bad it runs one hour and 53 minutes. That thirteen what, minutes has just ruined his criticism. <laughs> what a shit criticism! You fucking not bad. It's funny you taking it away the opening credits and the fucking end credits. You are about one forty. What's a cunt? Um, for all those that complain they don't make them like they used to, I recommend you get to the biggest screen you can find, buy copious amounts of popcorn, and enjoy this slice of summer movie going fun. There we go. Critics enjoyed it for the most part. Got some trivia to run us through. So, as always, jump in as and when. 
when Hiroshi Saku Sakurazaka, I should have rehearsed that, wrote the novel. You got an A, got get an a idea, Yeah. He got the idea from video gaming, resetting a game over and over until finding the winning strategy. I thought I was quite unique in thinking that until I Googled it quite naively and every single person had the same idea about the film. So clearly the inspiration was there. Um, for God's sake, Sean. What is going Sean? on? Sean. We can hear Sean pissing. <laughs> He's taking a piss. <laughs> he fucking is not Sean. Sure yes, he is. And it's He's not even a... the first time. <laughs> He's actually a joke of a human being. Like. <laughs> Comes up with that. What the hell is wrong with him? The, the, the plan this year is for us to be bought out by some big American conglomerate. They're going to think, have a little look to this movie madness. I quite like Edge of Tomorrow. I just hear Sean pissing two minutes into the episode. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, Sean, I actually rate that from you. That's fucking so funny. The worst thing is, I know he's cackling behind his mute. I know he's muted and he's cackling behind it. Oh, it's childish, but fucking hell, every time he does that, it makes me roar so much. Next time, Sean, let's say you plop. Go the whole way. I really don't know hearing groaning and trying to squeeze one out. <laughs> no. Oh. See, there he is, he's back. I was pouring some water. Yeah, you were pouring some water. <laughs> oh, that's class. Well, filming the car chase scene, which includes a minivan, Emily Blunt was instructed to drive fast and then take a right-hand turn so the van would shake. However, Blunt missed her mark and she drove the car right into a tree. She later <laughs> said that it was both hilarious and terrifying and she almost killed Tom Cruise. <laughs> Why was that hilarious? hilarious that's great Tom Cruise insists on doing his own stunts Um, if I ask me I I get a body double in there and they take all the risk actually um, one of the things I meant to say if you look back to when he jumps out of the ambulance in uh, Enemy of the State you can see that was what was described on IMDB as a largely overweight body double of Will Smith you can see replaced him in that scene so go back and have a look um emily blunt admitted that after putting on the metal suit she started crying because it was so heavy it weighed 85 pounds and that she'd be required to perform action scenes in it for five months she was told by tom cruise to stop being such a wuss yeah i think if tom Tom cruise tells you that he gets the job done yeah um so this was based on the novel all you need is kill and i won't attempt to uh, say the guy's name again because I will literally kill it. Tom Cruise admitted that Emily Blunt was an actress he wanted to work with for a long time and he recommended her to, to the producers for the role of Brita. What an endorsement that is, by the way. You see that? We didn't give Adam Sandler credit when he said he wanted to work with Jennifer Aniston, Kate Beckinsale, Drew Barrymore. We said that he was just looking for the fittest available bird and getting her on getting her on script. How do we know Tom Cruise didn't do that? He might well have done, but Tom Cruise. I don't, I don't, is he a better actor than Adam Sandler? No. You're you're going no. We're going all credit to the Sandman. Yeah. I, I love Adam Sandler, but he's 
just Adam Sandler in every movie. He's, he's got. And what so about Uncut Gems? What about Punch Drunk Love? Never seen Punch Drunk Love. To be fair, do you not do you not see the range between Fifty First Dates and That's My Boy? Yeah, actually, Jack, I don't if you if you haven't listened to the pod where we discussed That's My Boy, <laughs> so that that will be your homework for this week. He please. did he did watch it after uh, I said about it on the pod though, so there yeah. is that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm seeing it. I'm going to rescind what I said because I'm just thinking of Tom Cruise and he is Tom Cruise in every one of his movies as well. Yeah. <laughs> like Jack Reacher and this guy are exactly the same. It's just two different settings. Yeah. Um, Tom Cruise spent over $100,000 on a lavish rap party for the cast and crew. He didn't attend himself when he was finishing his scene for the movie. Fucking Great Gatsby over there. <laughs> That was, exactly, that was exactly what popped into my head. Operation Downfall, the name the movie gave the planned invasion, was in fact a real planned invasion, and that was the final invasion of the Japanese home islands to end World War Two. The real operation never happened, as the dropping of the atomic bombs saw, set, saw to that not being necessary. What a bleak bit of uh, trivia. Bit of trivia for you, yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, the film actually takes place in 2020, so... Oh, survived, survived an alien invasion at least yeah I feel like the alien invasion would one be over sooner sat through yeah don't say that if we had some 40 year old on here he'd be saying uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have lasted two minutes with the snowflakes we've got around today yeah Tom Cruise didn't want the exosuits to be too CGI he thought it'd be more real to the audience if they weren't and he thought he'd have more fun with the weapons that looked quite cool so I he, think again, he I think made he... them build the six stone suit for him <laughs> and Emily Blunt to roll around him. To be fair, I think he's totally right there, though, because I think the ruggedness of the suit makes you think that they could have actually put that together to fight the aliens. It's kind of rough and ready. Whereas yeah, it's definitely a good idea. It's kind of like, it reminds me of the Matrix. Whenever I see a suit like this, it reminds me of the last Matrix. I'm looking forward to seeing the Matrix again because I can remember literally nothing other than being called Mr. I Anderson. I actually watched them in lockdown one or three and I forgot how brilliant they all are. And me nearly being sick when he's kind of reborn the first time around while I was eating my dinner. Mm, nice. Um, it was Tom Cruise's idea to do three film premieres in one day for this movie to tie up with the, the tagline of the film. Did Blunt... No, he didn't. He's just... He just uh, clearly had a, had a good word in the ear of uh, the director. Said Emily it, Blunt said, said it on the pod before. He's like player manager. Said, really. it on the, said it on the pod before. He's still, even to this day, and five, six years ago, it's one of the last few people on the planet that you put his name on a film and it opens. It will open okay. And, yeah, he, can yeah. get, and he can get it made because he's Tom Cruise. So you've got Tom Cruise telling you, giving you ideas. You're already going to tell them to fuck off, aren't you? <laughs> no, very true. Emily, Emily Blunt said he didn't consider how much harder this would be for a girl because she needed a different dress, hairdo and makeup for each one while he just needed to change his suit. Oh, what well, hard life you've got there, haven't you? Have your hair done. <laughs> Tom Cruise did supply the jet as well to get them uh, to three different did. cities in one day. Of course he did, man. <laughs> it was London, Paris, and I'm not sure where the other one was. Must be um, somewhere else in Europe. Yeah. Uh, even oh, though he's in every scene, sorry. I was just going to say, have you come on to the geography bit yet? Or is that coming no, up? Okay. It's coming up. Um, 
even though he's in every scene, Tom Cruise doesn't have any dialogue throughout the final six minutes of the movie. Um, as Rita and Cage are exiting the underground car park at speed, Daria starts to raise at the top of the ramp. The side of these ramps facing oncoming traffic is essentially a two-foot wall. There is literally no way a car could use it as a ramp. It would just plough straight onto it. <laughs> Even if the car was coming from the other direction, the actual ramps used aren't wide enough to have both wheels hit it at the same time. So this was what they considered an error in the film. Although maybe the yeah. aliens might have been a bigger issue. What I've watched recently, uh, um, it's got Tim Allen in it. It's Toy Story. Ba- no, um, I'll come back to you on that. But essentially, every time a barrier goes up at a government building checkpoint, or every car seems to be able to run <laughs> over. And that's exactly what they designed not to do. So in yeah. every film, whenever there's a ramp, you can ramp over it when it's supposed to stop the vehicles. In films where they, they try it, where they just set up like a row of police cars and the car just drives through them every time as if that was going to stop them. <laughs> yeah. And why um, do they bother putting the police cars there? <laughs> yeah. Brad Pitt and Ryan Gosling were originally considered for the role of Bill Cage. See Ryan Gosling doing this? No. No. Nah. Ryan Gosling. I can see him over Brad Pitt. Yeah, I don't think Brad Pitt's from. I don't know if Gosling doing it. Um, at some point during the development of the screenplay of the first film, Warner Brothers said to Doug Lyman, Does he need to travel through time? Maybe he could just battle aliens. He told them, If you want me to make this movie, he does. I'm not interested in aliens, I'm interested in the repeat of the day part. <laughs> So the studio oh, yeah. just tried to take away the entire premise of the film. I said to my dad that this is what we were doing on the pod this week, and he couldn't place the film until I was like, oh, it's got Tom Cruise in it. And he went, oh, yeah, is it the one that's Groundhog Day with people getting shot? Yeah. And I thought that's just the best way to sum up the film. They sold it as um, a cross between Groundhog Day and Starship Troopers. Mm. Starship Troopers, nice. great film. Um a follow-up to this film is in pre-production. As of March 2020, there's no release date for Live, Die, Repeat and Repeat. Um, I think that is actually the name of <laughs> Is that actually what it's called? Apparently so. That's the working <laughs> title. Yeah, um, they tried to market it as if, I can't remember which way around, but Live, Die, Repeat is the name of the trilogy. Yeah. And then Edge of Tomorrow is the name of the film. Or vice versa, whichever. And I was, yeah. I was expecting another one to come out, but... So they've got Doug Lyman back on board. They've got Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt back on board. But in a more recent interview they did with Doug Lyman, they were like, look, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt have both said they want to do the film. What you need to do is ask them how high up on their list of priorities that it is. And he said, look, I'm not having a go. Look, they're two busy people. Just maybe the studio does need to put a bit of weight behind it and say, let's get this movie done. So he said they're kind of getting everything ready to be in a position so that when it is time to do it, then they can go. Hmm. I wonder how it's going to be again, though, because are they going to go... To, to make it live, die, repeat, they're going to go and need to get that alpha's blood again, aren't they? Who knows? Who knows? Um, at the beginning of the movie, there's a montage of different newscasters, news footage, and public officials trying to deal with the alien invasion. One of the public officials they showed was Hillary Clinton, implying that she was president of the United States. The movie was released in 2014, and based on how things were going at the time, they just assumed she'd end up in the White House over Trump. (laughs) Never assume it makes an arse out of you and I. (laughs) Or you and me, sorry. 
<laughs> you and I, you, you and I is grammatically correct. Which is why he also doesn't spell assume. No, I know, but you and I is grammatically correct, which is why it was my default. My apologies. That's amazing. That was so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Do you want to that's go up to the geography, we Jack? I don't think I wrote it down, so. That's up there. Yeah. That's the water earlier. What, yeah, what, <laughs> what I'm going to have to say with the geography here is that it feels like they've plucked out random places because they're like, oh, I did World War One history at school, so we're going to make one battle in Verdun, and and then we're going to make the dam in Germany, but th- the main landing is going to be at the north of France. And I just don't understand the geography of it all. That's the only thing that's irking me about is one of these little irks. And they say, oh, yeah, we usually get to the point where we drive past Lyon. And Lyon's in the south of France. So they've driven from the north of France all the way to the south of France to get to Germany. And that's just not the route you would go. To me, it, it, it was like an American that just thinks Europe is just this tiny little place where everything yeah. is in like a stone's throw of each other. <laughs> yeah. And it's like when they say, oh, we won the Battle of Verdun. It's like, okay, if you won the Battle of Verdun, which is in the centre of France, what, why is everyone back in England? Yeah. You've been, you've been pushed back. You haven't won anything. Um, an alternative darker ending was considered for the film. Um, so as they approach Paris and the dropship, um, Cage briefs the soldiers that they must not kill an alpha or it will cause a time loop and we'll be right back here having this conversation and we won't even know it. During fighting, one of the soldiers gets separated, then confronts and kills an alpha. The audience sees the Omega reset the day and witnesses the same conversation as before about not killing an alpha. But then the attack starts and the audience knows that the mimics have the upper hand as the movie ends. Mm. So it was going to be a, this was all for nothing. And my favourite bit of trivia for the day, um, the alien goo seen just before the first time loop was made. That's Angel Delight. Um, that's something amazing. Tom Cruise had never eaten before and he loved it so much that he ate it for the rest of production and says he now eats it on a weekly basis no way <laughs> as Angel an avid Delight. Angel Delight fan that is brilliant to know <laughs> what, fla- what flavour are you talking Jack? Butter I'm going scotch. banana butterscotch is, is the correct answer butterscotch yeah. I mean they're all great but butterscotch for me I love that. No matter how rich you are, Tom Cruise yeah. just enjoys a little bowl of a little bowl of uh, Angel Delight. See, they're, they're, I don't know when the last time I ate Angel Delight was. I reckon. No. I, know, I, I must have been a very small child. I have it <laughs> it's, it's literally it's a staple in my cupboard. I mean, in this household, <laughs> well, we make two separate bowls with two separate sachets, and we have a bowl each. Me and Sarah. <laughs> it's not. We don't. There's no sharing. Just to make sure we both get an equal amount. Fifty p at Tesco's. Christ, man. That's absolute class. <laughs> um, some of the thoughts I have while watching before we get on to the categories. Um, admirable, but that the fate of the world is in his hands and Tom Cruise is still putting in a gra- some graph of Emily Blunt saying, are you sure you've tried everything? <laughs> How many times uh, as well? <laughs> as, though there's a, as though there is a magic number. <laughs> I, I find it weird as well how their chemistry changes so quickly and they have less than a day with each other at each point, like, before it restarts. She, she mentions, doesn't she, about, like, an ex or something that used yeah. to be around. And then 
the sheer mention of him seems to actually turn her towards Tom Cruise, where she's like, well, there's me closure. <laughs> right then. <laughs> or it took her a while to get past Tom Cruise's height. And was like, can I? And eventually she just got used to it. Do you remember? One thing I thought, that... Sorry, mate, go on. Go on. You said, do you remember like they used to, I've like heard this so many times. There used to be a thing about um Tom Cruise like having the camera having to be like at different angles, yeah. so he, he looked level like looked equally as tall as whoever he was in the shot with. Yeah. Um there's shots in this where obviously they just he must he's either got over it and he's got to a point where he's just like, oh fuck it, it doesn't really matter. Because there are so many shots in this where he just one hundred percent looks looks his actual height. Mm. Um but I remember reading that so many times that it, that was like one of his things in the contract they had to make him look tall I know because um, a lot of the stories you hear about him you would assume that he's not a very approachable guy and he does take himself quite seriously and someone I used to work with um, well, about six seven years ago his brother ran whatever the main cinema is in London where they do um, all the premieres and things and he'd have to liaise with the people there and run the premieres and he was saying that you get some of these people that you consider to be approachable and they have no time. They're like, get me away from these people on the red carpet kind of thing. They don't want to do pictures, signings. And he said, no matter what film it was, Tom Cruise would literally stay. to like the last person that's gone over in rain, whatever, taking pictures, signing things. He said he's like the most approachable guy that you could think of of that status. And I would never have expected that. I think that's the science. I don't know mean this rudely, but I think it was the science. No, it definitely is. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. I think it killed that for a lot of people. Yeah. But something that annoyed me in the scene that we just mentioned, and that's people action films always have like a perfectly qualified first aider with them, but insist on saying they're fine and just bleeding out under their clothes. It took <laughs> Tom Cruise, what, like, two minutes to kind of patch her up in her shoulder. Meanwhile, mm. she's just wincing and trying to trying to be hard, just bleeding out under her shirt. And if they do it in every film, and I don't understand why. You, yeah, you would think, like, oh, I've got a bit of an injury here, pal. Do you want to sort me out? And that would be that. Two minutes later, Tom Cruise does get driven through a brick wall and just gets up and walks it off, by the way. That was one <laughs> thing that I was come on. Keenan, you mentioned earlier about sci-fi films and them not necessarily being your bag. And I thought, it's hard to get it right with monsters, isn't it? Because so much of the success of the film pans down to what that monster looks like and whether yeah. you think it looks pathetic, whether you've seen it before, that kind of thing. And even if you just look through, we picked 32 films for this action bracket and films with kind of any kind of monster and you've got Mad Max, you've got Deadpool vaguely, Terminator where the monster slash that kind of thing that looks like a human so that negates that and I couldn't remember The Matrix properly if there's any kind of a sci-fi thing there. So you've got, what, four or five films of 32 in which you see some kind of villain like that. And only really in Mad Max and this do you see them up close. Well, yeah. in The Matrix, you see the Sentinels, don't you? Okay, you... I've completely forgotten the films. So that's why I thought I could think of something, but I wasn't... Uh, they look pretty much identical to the monsters in this film as well. I've never so seen the Matrix got, in its entirety, so no comment, to be honest. They got um, Guillermo del Toro to draw up monsters for this, paid him a fair sum of money to do it, then decided they hated it and went back to what they already had from uh, <laughs> the manga. So this is what you get. And I did think 
it looked kind of like what you expect. It looks like the kind of thing you see in this, you see in Pacific Rim, which also has the Japanese influence. Um, Cloverfield in some parts, which also has the Japanese influence. And Cloverfield 1 worked particularly because you didn't see the monster till right at the end. Because yeah. if you if they'd led with it, people probably would have hated it, which was the main criticism when they did see it in the end. So it yeah. really is touch and go. It is, yeah, but it's because it's just pure, especially with something like this. Obviously, you take away there's no dialogue or anything. There's nothing else that that, that the the aliens add to this. It's just no. the pure visual. It's just pure visuals. So if you don't if you don't like it or just not believable or whatever it is your criticism is, it's going to take you out of the film in a pretty major way. You lose a lot of it with someone being chased down, and even we did Terminator Two last week, didn't we? And even when he's kind of walking him down, it adds a bit to it and this time the monster's kind of like i'm here i'm in your face now what are you gonna do (laughs) i mean the closest in terms of suspense there's a couple of moments you know as they go through the helicopter and he says look every time you get in this helicopter something comes up out of the ground and you're dead and like there's nothing we could do um there's that uh the bit in the caravan as well when they're driving actually um i completely forgot that there was a completely forgot that what's it called that he pops out the caravan that's that's not bad yeah. um but no robots are kind of a safe option aren't they and then they with the main characters here the main villains here they do branch out a bit yeah it's hard yeah. to get a robot wrong in terms of there's only so many ways you can do it mm. um so after Tom Cruise uses the transponder and finds out the location of the Omega. There's literally no reason for the car chase that results in him then losing his ability. If he just got out and let them shoot him, he'd have more time to find a way to reach the location of the Omega. It makes no sense what he's doing in the car trying to escape. Yeah. Also, when they kind of trap him in that German dam they say they're going to try and get the time control power back by like trying to bleed him to death, essentially. Death by blood loss is the exact same as dying or being shot in the head. So unless the mimics were going to give him like a blood transfusion, <laughs> sprout hands out, it literally made no difference. So I don't know. These two things just made no sense. Yeah. yeah the, the car, bit the car crash me. one was so <laughs> well annoying. Yeah, it makes zero sense. Uh, I mean, just crash the car. Do anything. You, there is so many ways that he gets away from that. And then he's like, what oh, look, you, I know exactly where we've got to go now. <laughs> what did you think about the fact that he kills the Omega, ends the war, but still wakes up a day earlier? Because sh- mm. then the Omega would still be alive. Yeah, also unless very true. That, unless it means that he is the... Oh, oh, the way God, they're can you imagine that second. being the plot for the second one? Yeah. I am oh, I'd love that. Go, go, you know, um, in Ant Man, where Ant Man goes massive occasionally. Imagine just yeah. a massive Tom Cruise like that, wreaking <laughs> havoc in Japan or something. A Tom Cruise sized Godzilla. What is, but what's going to happen? He what? He loses his wallet, so he starts a day again or something. Shot like that. Trying. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it makes sense. It, to me, it, oh, it makes sense. <laughs> Talk about time travel, and it makes sense. Um, to, to that it would jump back to that day and the event would have fixed because it's, it's that day that plays on a loop so he would start from the same point right rather than him just because he's died so he gets that ability again to start it from that point rather than 
Because where else does where else does he wake up? Yeah, I hope that makes the sense. point I'm going to make here makes sense, despite I know the fact that it makes no sense. If okay. I could take the first hour of this film and the last hour of Enemy of the State from today, that would be like the perfect action film in terms of you got the quick you got the quick start. It doesn't pander to you. It allows you to use enough of your own intellect to understand the film. And then you've got the rip roar and finish where you've got some suspension of believability, but still it, it doesn't treat you like an idiot that you're just going to overlook every plot hole. But I thought the last hour of this was slightly disappointing. Same as I kind of referenced for the start of enemy of the state. So I'm not sure merging the combo would work, but hopefully that does make some kind of sense. I know what you mean. I kind of get your point, yeah, because you're right. In this film, it starts really well. It's such a cool concept in a sense that you can learn quicker, you can keep training. What I didn't understand as well is that obviously he gets better and better at fighting, but the day he restarts, how does he have... I guess he has the memory, but he wouldn't have the capability, surely, because he'd forget that. Well, he yeah. should do in that sense, because he, as much as he's going back, it's not like his physicality is changing, it's literally yeah, just true. the methodology. But yeah, going back to your point, I think you're right, because the last hour of this film, after you've got over the fact that you can keep restarting and going, there's a lot of pointless shit that happens that needs to happen because of the story, but wouldn't happen if they had a bit of nails about them, like, like you said, the car chase. Not- if I had a scale, like my interest kind of waned as it should have picked up yeah. in the film. Whereas at least with Enemy of the State, is- it went the way it should. It is- gradually increased. I was going to say, is that not the way you'd want it? Because I know we, yeah. love, we love a fast start. So wouldn't you rather have a slower start? So- Absolutely. I guess as well, in this film, a slow start just wouldn't really work because like, you learn about him and you like him more as the film goes on, I guess, because it's, you hate him at the start. A bit of it's impressive to take a film that's repeating constantly and still make it, I was going to say not repetitive, obviously it's repetitive, but not yeah. like, tiresome. What, like they what, do it in an interesting way. Definitely. And what I find great as well about time travel films where they're repeating a certain moment and it makes themselves look like cool in front of unsuspecting people that they've met before. But when he goes in and talks to the squad and yeah. listing off everything that he knows about, whoa, that's, that's, I, I like that concept in all the films that it's done in. Um, so it gets points, points on that for me. At, at the start of this film, Tom Cruise is like, you cannot put me in combat. I am not a guy that can do combat. He gets killed once and he's instantly like, right, who wants it then? All yeah. fear has just gone completely. <laughs> yeah, he's literally, they poke the beast and he's awoken. One of my favourite moments, though, I do like that. So the time where he goes in and he just decides he's going it alone and he's just going to go all the way there. And then when he gets there and, and the guy obviously gets crushed, when he says, like, we've made it. And then he just gives them a look and then just carries on walking. Yeah. <laughs> just to die. It's when uh, he reaches his peak as a soldier as well, doesn't he? He just runs around the hole, but runs around the rest of the squad just yeah. in a circle, shoot, shooting everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we go on to the categories then, so 
rewatchability. What did you think, Keenan? Yeah, I I, re- I definitely rewatch it. Like you say, it's a quick start. It's a, it's, it's a fast-paced start, and it's probably fast-paced for about an hour of it, I would, yeah. I would say. An hour, an hour and ten, and then at that point, you, you're far enough in that you're sort of there to the end. So this change of pace or the sort of change of, don't say quality, but you know what I mean, the sort of how, like how great it is, doesn't it's, really impact you too much. It's a bit of a cheat code, isn't it? The uh, the, the news report. And they do it. In, they do it in some other films. They do it in Shaun of the Dead to explain away some plot holes, don't they? Over the radio, where it's like, we don't have time here. We don't need to talk you through this for half an hour. Have this little montage here, get you up to speed, and then we'll kick things off and show you what you want to see. Yeah, and I do like that because you don't with this, especially how bogged down you need to be with that the aliens are invaded, are invading or they have invaded, it is just, right, we're sending you to this this place. Well, you You're see, a bit, you, sorry, go on. You see more and more now, don't you, where it's like, you're tuning in for a sci-fi film, you're tuning in for a zombie film, or that kind of thing. It's like, you don't need to see people get infected for the 80th time. It's like they're still doing Spider-Man films and making us see them get bitten. It's like, we've seen this nine times already. You can just shove us in with Peter Parker, and we're good. <laughs> and that's what they've done with some of these, where it's like, look, we'll just cut straight to the chase here. This is what you want to see. Bang. Yeah. And I guess it relies somewhat on you already having some kind of rapport through the screen with um, Tom Cruise and having some attachment to him already. It might not work if it's a completely unknown actor. Um, maybe. Maybe. I, I, maybe. I didn't really think about it like that. I mean, you go in, opening scene, goes to see, goes to see Brendan Gleeson. Which is great. They threw Brandon Gleeson in. It, to be honest, he's only in it for about four minutes, but what a guy! Um, he's a bit of an arsehole, and you're supposed to dislike him, and then he gets paid, gets his comeuppance by getting fucked off as a as a as a deserter, uh, and then you're pretty much straight into it, aren't you? And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how much to- at, at that point. I think you can literally have anyone in the film. Twenty twenty, there, there's no um, justice system. You, you've got no right to be a deserter. You just quite literally. You want to do it, then we'll just chuck you in anyway. So, well, yeah, I mean, that was that would have that's actually less of a punishment than what most countries' punishments were during wars, typically. If you're over here country. now, over here in this country now, you 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 go to at least a trial where you kind of state your case. Oh, I know, but during wartime, typically, if you <laughs> yeah. caught as a deserter, we're going to line you up against the wall and we'll just finish yeah. you off. <laughs> yeah. It's quite counterproductive, really. It's far more productive here to just shove him in battle anyway and hope the survival yeah. instincts kick in. doesn't work. Not everyone has Tom Cruise, obviously. Um, Sean, what do you think about the rewatchability? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's rewatchable. I mean, I, I sounds like I'm not as big a fan of the film as, as the rest of you possibly. I think it's all right. I'd probably give it a like a six out of ten, um, but so, but I would, I would, I would watch it again, but it wouldn't be top of my list. So again, you were quite big on it after in the cinema, weren't you? What did you say, so? When it when you watched it in the cinema, you were quite big on it, weren't you? Was well, I can't really remember. Uh, maybe so you and Alex maybe, selling it to me, or maybe Alex was selling it on your behalf. I feel like Alex, Alex probably was. It's definitely a film that that's in Alex's window of the kind of things he loves 
Um, I mean, I've, I obviously I didn't think it was bad, um, and you know, I, I, I quite liked rewatching it just then. But um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know if I would. I wouldn't be in a rush to watch it again. And again, it's one of those things where if it wasn't on this pod list, I don't think I'd have got around to watching it again. Yeah, I mean, mentioned him crying earlier for Paranormal Activity. Um, I remember me and Joe quite literally heard him reach climax in the cinema during Jurassic Park when the two T-Rexes had a fight. So <laughs> pick your poison. As that, as speaking of Joe as well, I'm surprised the one, this kind of watching this a little bit because of the suit that they get in, it reminds me of that film... Um, what's the film when the, like, the machines are getting are called Jaegers? Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim, that's it. Because, um, yeah, Joe loved that film mainly because... The first one's quite good. Jaegers. Yeah, it was quite good. Yeah. Second Very one, one of the worst films I've ever seen in the cinema. <laughs> Apparently they're making more. Um, and Jack, finally, re- what do you think about the rewatchability of this? Yeah. I think I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed both films. I'd rewatch this one definitely. We go through the quotes and then we'll get into the judging. So, uh, Jack, do you want to start us off? Not as many for this, I don't think. Yeah, I, I struggled to really find a quote that I kind of affiliated with. Um, I mean, you've got what day is it? And then Judgment Day. I think this is a film that isn't really for your dialogue, it's for your action, isn't it? Um, what about when he says, uh, listen, man, I've never been in one of these. And he says, yeah, well, I've never been with two girls at the same time before, but you bet yeah. when that day comes, I'll make it work. <laughs> Did like that one. Keenan, any the, uh, you got down? Yeah, battle is the great, yeah, battle is the great redeemer. It is the fiery crucible in which true heroes are forged. The one place where all men truly share the same rank, regardless of what kind of parasitic scum they were going in. I did, did try and see if I could get the southern accent down for you, by, but it's not quite there yet. That's all right. Um, you've got another week to get Denzel sorted, so uh, we'll leave you with that yeah. homework. If this gets um, through to the second round, I'll have a southern accent prepared for you. <laughs> um, we mentioned him uh, trying, his, trying it on with uh, Emily Blunt, so... Um, I did enjoy the only thing I can feel on my lips. <laughs> Just him in a heap before getting shot in the head. Yeah. Uh, I do. It's not even really a quote. It's more of a moment. But when he's, he, he, she's like, right, when she's just sort of walking him down, he's like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. She's like, yeah, you broke your leg. And then she just caps up to him and just pops him straight in the head. Um, always <laughs> made me chuckle. Soft. Yeah. Um, you talking of catchphrases earlier. Don't know. We've never gotten this far. I think he said about four or five times. <laughs> um, just yeah, just before we get onto the judging, um, best moment slash scene. Um, for me, I probably did, I probably did enjoy when he realised that he couldn't move and he broke his back. I very enjoyed that. <laughs> I was thinking, you? Why have you Sorry. got a training exercise that can break your back? <laughs> I guess they expect you to maybe to be at a higher level, but yeah, they're very, very ropey. Um, what was the best scene for you, Jack? I am a massive fan of thinking the good guy is dead, only for his hand or mouth to open <laughs> and grenade pins fall out. I am a massive fan of whenever that happens. It happens in... Uh, he did it in War of the Worlds as well. I was just about to say War of the Worlds, Tom Cruise again. That It was in his mouth that time, I think. Um, so it's Although I didn't like it, it was in the loom. I'm going to have to go with that. 
uh, purely because of the pin grenade pins being revealed, or when he's running around running around that hole and he becomes a really good fighter and just wows all of his squad mates. That's pretty cool too. Do you reckon it costs too much to even just get one shot at the Mona Lisa? I feel like if you're filming for the Louvre, that's <laughs> surely. Well, do you reckon that the aliens have per- perfectly preserved the Mona Lisa? Everything else is fucked. <laughs> and the Mona Lisa... just replaced what? it and one of their mimics is in there instead. <laughs> Some uh, mimics had a go of painting one themselves. Um, Keenan, Sean, best scene? Go on, shoot, you go first, mate. Uh, I think, well, I quite enjoy the first couple of the repeat scenes. Uh, yeah, I quite enjoy it, and there's, there's obviously the comedy value of that as well. Uh, and then I enjoy the montage of the repeat scenes again of, of when he's training with Emily Bunt, and then as Keen just touched on there, when like she comes up and pops him in the head. Um, so either either of those would be my favourite, I think. Finally, Keenan. Yeah, I've got the. I've just called it the the death montage in my notes. Just yeah. him getting shot constantly is quite is quite a good scene. Um. I also like the where the epitome of it. So I've written it down as like the middle battle where he suddenly, or Joe, he's been shot a thousand times, and now suddenly he's just a big, big soldier. He's a big time soldier, and then he's ready to go yeah. for it because it quite like the actual thing, and then it progresses the film quite well as well. Yep. All right. Well, if we get into the judging, then um, Keenan, I'll, I'll go to you first because I think I know the answer. Um, which film did you prefer? Enemy of the State. Jack? Oh, I think Enemy of the State. That was Jida. Uh, Sean? Enemy of the State as well. I agree. Um, Sean? Rewatchability? Enemy of the State for me again. Keenan? Rewatchability. Um, I think I'll probably go Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, Jack? I think purely because... It's so much action and it's a cool concept. I'm going to have to go with Edge of Tomorrow because I feel like once you know the twists in a film like um, Enemy of the State, it's like, yeah, cool, but second time around it won't be as cool. Whereas this time, this is the second time watching it, I actually more just because of the minus action. I, I, I agree um, with Edge of Tomorrow being uh, more rewatchable for the same reasons. Um, Keenan, best quote? Uh, we will give it to Battle is the Great Redeemer, it is the fiery crucible in which true heroes are forged, etc. etc. Sean? You're either very smart or incredibly stupid. <laughs> Jack? Now you've mentioned it, I'm going to have to go for your one, Byron, that you said with Edge of Tomorrow. With, uh, I've never been with two girls before. <laughs> so that was great. Um, uh, um, mine would be the... Uh, exchange between Will Smith and uh, his boss um, where he's saying it's none of his business best moment slash scene to last you Sean for best you quote. asked me the last one yeah best quote best quote yeah what did you say you're said, either uh, incredibly you're smart or you're incredibly stupid yeah. alright yeah sorry um, Sean best moment slash scene First moment slash scene for me is uh, Enemy of the State, and it's the the first chase scene. I agree with you, Keenan. Um, 
I don't know. This is going to sound so weird, but I don't know why I like it so much. But yeah, I'm going to give it to Enemy of the State, and it's when we first meet Gene Hackman. Just love it. Jack? I'm going with Enemy of the State and the kind of bloodbath in the restaurant at the end. <laughs> Sean? MVP? MVP is Big Bill Cage. Keenan? Yeah, it is. Indeed. Jack? I, I wanted to go with the Cage, but at the same time, how can you have a guy that's killed constantly? Hey. Um, well, you might be more careful if he... Yeah. Eh? You might be more mean, careful if he didn't have unlimited lives and then he well, does no, it fine when he does. No, the whole point is the fact that he would do it first time if he could do it first time. It's just the fact that he kept dying. He couldn't get off the beach. He still does save the world. Uh, he does, but if he I mean, by live, comparison, the NSA are still out here tracking people. That is true, but if he didn't have this, I know I don't see a lot of aliens about his weird alien, <laughs> his weird alien goo. Then he would have died first time around, and they would have won anyway. I'm gonna go with Brill for oh, a geezer. Brill, yeah. Hey, I'm going take Brill. that tone out of your voice. What a character, <laughs> unreal. Without Brill, Brill was Will more Smith. of a hindrance than he was a plus. No, without Please. Brill, Will Smith is literally running around like a hes's chicken, not knowing what the fuck to do. Without um, Brill, when it came, he gets when it came, to, when it came to crunch time, Brill even, sat in the van, chilling. He wouldn't even know that he had the trackers on him for a start. Brill made it all possible. He's like the Bill Belichick. In fairness, I don't know how many people, how many more people he needs to tell him he was being tracked. He has about nine pulled off him, and still he's still he's not being uh, yeah. wary enough. But I'm also going for uh, Big Bill, so there you go. Most menacing villain. Is it uh, the NSA or is it the uh, aliens that are trying to destroy the world? I mean, it is the NSA. Yeah, I'll go with NSA purely because... like, It's it's actually flat out a real thing. Yeah, it's real, it's evil, it's conniving, they know what they're doing, whereas the aliens, they don't know what they're doing. It's their nature, they're just trying to get food chain. I'm going to make the case for the aliens here that they are quite literally toying with the humans. Letting them well, see no. things that they want them to see so they can lure them into a big battle where they were going to attempt to wipe out the majority of the army. So, I mean, the aliens are trying yeah, to just quite literally just wipe out tactically. humanity. They're playing tactically. There's an end goal. You, the menacing part of the NSA is you don't know what the end goal is. Yeah, the NSA have but just ruined this man's The end life. goal for them is they just want to hear people's little bits of gossip they want to know what's going on in dawn's office these aliens yeah, they're trying to wipe out humanity most menacing villain <laughs> compelling compelling arguments on both sides um i have gone for enemy of the state though. this is mental the world is at stake and you boys are worried about but it's the way it's webcam. the way they go about it though, as they were touching on, like the aliens are just in there. What do you why how can you give sorry shoot, how can you give the example about being worried about someone watching through your webcam? You quite literally blue tack yours. Yeah, but then if you also offer me aliens trying to wipe us out, I'd say I'll take the blue tack off. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's not it's not either or, is it? I'm not offering you either or, I'm just saying the aliens do what the aliens are there to do. No, no, but in the in in actuality, it's not, is it? The aliens do what the aliens do. The NSA is a conscious effort. The aliens takes a bit of blue tack to wipe out the NSA. 
then the sequel is going to be is going to take 10 minutes as if that's all it takes and yeah. the sequel is just them placing a delivery on Prime um, next day cover the webcam sorted oh my god do you know what I mean? The Omega is thick as sin as well. That's why that's not menacing. It gives itself up very easily, as we've stated in this pod. I mean, we're saying stupid. The, the, the main villain here literally walks his way into a trap when he's oh. got him right where he wants him. Yeah. That's a great trap, isn't it? Will Smith laws him not, with them both. I'm not actually sure it was such a great trap. <laughs> he no, just was against some very stupid villains. No, it's not at all. But the NSA as a whole, he is just the representative and the face of it in the film. The NSA as the whole gets my vote. Keenan, best side character. Brill. Sean? Uh, well, in in honour, you forgot, you haven't added a name to it, have you? Before we what? agreed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before we were... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Got a bit caught up by you not, not being worried about aliens, but being worried about the NSA. Um Sean, uh, the inaugural winner of uh, the Seth Green Best Side Character Award. Who, uh, who is it for you? Well, I mean, I actually have Seth Green written down. Oh, nice, nice. Because I, again, it's, well, this thing we have every week, but I think I kind of class Brill is right on the edge of both. I think he's almost a central and key character enough to be. A permanent, not a side character, but it's very close. So that's why I've gone for Seth Green. Sean? Um, not Sean. Keenan? No, oh, I thought we did, man. It's Brill. Oh, yeah. Got caught by having to repeat the name. Jack, what about you? Yeah, go and Brill. I'm going for uh, Jack Black. Okay. Freedom, uh, what's sh- name? Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember. A shout-out to... Uh, Master Sergeant Farrell in Edge of Tomorrow as well. Oh, I nearly went for Rachel F. Banks. Hmm. Do like the scientist guy that's also in uh, Tomb Raider, though, so he nearly got my vote. Jonas Armstrong. That's not him. Pretend you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Emily Blunt's little uh, side piece before she gets her main course. (laughs) Action per minute, Keenan. Edge of Tomorrow. Jack? Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow. Sean? Edge of Tomorrow. I agree. Um, the one that we said we'd need to get into now, um, the Kill Count. Uh, I'll say now I'm going for Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, Kill Count on screen is uh, a category and we see a hell of a lot of people die on screen, so but Tom Cruise dies forty odd times. Huh? But we're seeing Sorry, the same people die. We are seeing the Tom... same people die, but I mean, they yeah, are still dying. Lot, so but... no, I was literally what I was going to say. Tom Cruise dies about forty odd times, so it, the numbers have to be quite high. Yeah, my pick is Edge of Tomorrow. What about you, Keenan? Yeah, it's the same, mate. Sean. Yeah. Jack. Yeah. Yeah, it's because you actually don't really see many people die in Enemy of the State until right at the end. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to have to go edge tomorrow. Um, most creative use of weaponry, Keenan? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Honestly. 
Jack, do you have one for us? Um, I mean, the suits themselves would be my guess, but in the context of the award, yeah, it's not that creative, if that makes sense. What I was thinking of here is when, uh, because it depends if you class it as a weapon or not, but when um, Will Smith goes into the, he goes into the closet and then makes the fire and then obviously gets taken out in the ambulance. It's kind of as as a defensive weapon almost. It's quite creative, but I know it it obviously doesn't kill anyone. You got one, Byron? Is that of interest? Not particularly, no. I was probably going to go for the grenades, but that was... uh low-hanging fruit so yeah like i say i mean the the suit is the most the suit itself is the most creative weaponry for me but it obviously we we basically we call it creative but basically the the, it's unusual weaponry isn't it Um, i mean for the time context the use of the satellite was a creative use of weaponry yeah yeah i'll give you that um but like i say if it's unusual weaponry in the context of the film the suits aren't unusual at all because every soldier's got one, so they're just like they're they're just standard. Yeah, I'd probably go. I'd probably go for the grenades. To be fair, okay, I won't argue against it. Sure, have you made your mind up? Uh, yeah, I'll go for that as well then. Jack, mm, I'm trying to think if there's anything creative really in any of the state, but I, I usually think... have something to stand out and I make make a little note, but yeah, nothing no. did jump out. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with the suit or the grenades. Um, Keenan, best soundtrack. Um, I quite like the score in Enemy of the State, so I, I, that's what I've got written down. Did um, the music for the credits of Edge of Tomorrow catch anyone else off guard? What John Newman? John Newman. One absolute fire tune. It caught me so off guard. I wasn't waiting for that at all. I was waiting for maybe a bit. Slightly chirpy, but kind of low-key score, as you said. And then suddenly that just pumps out. Everyone used to love that song as well. And yeah, I, it's a banger. I was at, worked at PC World at the time, and it was on the music channels constantly, all the time. I think it takes by pick of the soundtrack, mm-hmm. basically just for that. Sean? Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, like, I wasn't really sure on this at all until... Like the end, so my mind probably is edge tomorrow just based on that as well. <laughs> uh, Jack, yeah, yeah, not um, uh, not strong soundtrack films, really. No, only a couple no. left, and we'll have our winner confirmed. Um, Keenan, originality, edge of tomorrow, but I will can explain. I know, enemy of the state is <clears throat> it's quite it's, it's quite impactful and quite reasonably original, but you've already had like all the president's men and stuff about Watergate. So surveillance films aren't the newest thing, but the change of the way they change things, I think, is is quite original. Yeah. Uh, Sean, what about you? Uh, Yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. Jack? Uh, Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow. Same. Um, Bigger impact, Keenan? As it stands, sequels, because they're both only proposed sequels, possibly say Enemy of the State, because I don't know if... I don't know if Edge of Tomorrow did a lot for anyone, if that makes sense. And again, I think yep. in the line of Tom Cruise films, I think it's one that you probably forget about. Um, Jack, what about you? Yeah, I'm going Enemy of the State for exactly the same reasons that if you think of Tom Cruise, you don't think of this movie. I, I think of 
Tom Cruise with the film, but it not really. This film is kind of will just fade into uh, a seriously probably until someone mentions it again, and it's not because it's a yeah. bad film. I did enjoy it. It just it's just kind of there. So I'll go Enemy of the State as well. Sean, what about you? Uh, enemy of the State as well. Um, Keenan, better ending. Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, no, sorry. Enemy of the State. My apologies. Jack, better ending? Enemy of the State, again, for the same reasons I said before, I just hate the endings where good guys can't bask in their glory. Uh, Sean? Uh, enemy of the State. I agree. And then finally, uh, Chemistry. Um, I've, I've gone Edge of Tomorrow for this. I, I did find Tom Cruise and uh, Emily Blunt to be a believable um duo there more than the chemistry of kind of Will Smith. I prefer him as a Lone Ranger than with Brill, so that'd be uh, my pick there. Keenan, what about you? Yeah, I, I would probably I would agree with those two. I think because this I also like the dynamic of how it builds, you know, like one person's deeply more invested in their relationship than the other because he's you know, obviously he's experienced the day and did different slight variations of the day a hundred times whereas she, she hasn't so I quite like the chemistry there as well um, Jack? Yeah I think Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt great chemistry and Sean? Um, yeah I think I'm going the same uh, I think there is good chemistry in Enemy of State between yeah, Will Smith and Regina King and then you have uh Rachel Banks and Dean, and then also like Brill and and Dean as well. So they, there are good options, but I don't think any of them are quite as good as uh, Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise. All right, so um, this one did go right down to the wire, and it's eight seven finale, and that did go to Edge of Tomorrow. Ooh. All of us preferred Enemy of the State, but. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow takes it with the. Which is why we do the, the category, story. mate. Yeah. There, the, there was a there was a run where it had one two, had five on the spin with a, action per minute kill count, most creative use of weaponry, soundtrack and originality. Hmm. Fair and enough. That ultimately took it. <laughs> Football commentary from something. <laughs> yeah, my bad, my bad. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, only because. Uh, the tiniest thing that can get us uh, taken down these days. Um, Jack, do you need to bounce? Did you say? I'm gonna I'm gonna dip off quickly, but my recasting, as always, would be Jim Carrey in both roles. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would work. <laughs> right, see you boys later. See there. Sure. Damn it. All right, only a couple more things to go, Keenan. I'll let you uh, get to Liverpool go. Um, it sounds like you have got it on, so you're not missing it at least. Um, uh, yeah, I've just turned it off for the moment. Oh, carry on, just have it on, have it on mute. Oh, it would require me walking, turning my CV down. If you miss anything, I'll tell you. Real star of the film. Um, does anyone say it's anyone other than Will Smith and Tom Cruise? My guy, Gene Hackman. Do you think he's the star of the film? No, not at all, but he is fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, you are right, it is those two. Um, there were no fan theories for this one, but of course there are probably theories. Are, there, are thousand, there are a thousand conspiracy theories. Yeah, conspiracy theories on both topics. 
Yeah. Um, recasting one role. Jack's given us these. Does anyone have any that stand out for them? Very random one. But mainly because the word Ryan was, or the name Ryan was used earlier. Quite wouldn't mind Ryan Reynolds as the ever so, ever so charming Bill Cage. I got on board with that. Okay. Hmm. Uh, I was thinking Halle Berry for Will Smith's wife. Any excuse to have Halle Berry in the film, then I'm on board. I'm not even sure it's, that's why he's picked Halle Berry. Similar <laughs> <laughs> well, territory as last week. <laughs> yeah, I'm well aware. That's where you're going with it. Wow. Nice. wow! It's not wow, is it, Sean? You've essentially wow. gone down a list of black actresses and wow. Halle Berry's the top of your list. We don't use the term actresses anymore, it's actors. I do do that when I send my interview requests. Um, yeah, because that's the correct. My recasting is that uh, Gene Hackman does come out, I'm afraid. Um, wow. And he's replaced by uh, Wayne Knight, who played uh, Stan, Michael Fuck. Jordan's uh, caddy in Space in Space Jam. Fuck <laughs> off. You I'm can saying. see it, can't you? You can see it. I cannot see it. I mean, yes, I can see it because I know what he looks like. But he's also in a film called Rat Race with Rowan Atkinson. And that is Seth a great Rat Race. Great film. It's for, oh, John Cleese in as well. It's fucking phenomenal. Um I used to love it when I was a kid. Uh, we should have put that in the comedy one. Oh, could have, mate, I wish I'd have thought of it. We could have had it as a wild card. Yeah. Byron, you ever seen Rat Race? No. Gay watch, mate. I don't it's like so Rowan Atkinson, which is a bad he, start. He doesn't say a lot on it, to be honest. He's He's plays really an arch- yeah. He plays an archaeologist. It is an ensemble cast. Uh, your girl... Being told I look like um, the Mr Bean cartoon for most of primary school did really put me off Mr Bean as a whole, so... That seems harsh. Amy Smart's in it. I've got a mole in the same... My moustache covers it up. I've got a mole in the same place as uh, Mr Bean. Oh, and that's basically it. Oh, cool. Brilliant. So that was mainly... Uh, <laughs> no stubble or uh, air yeah. to cover it up. Um, if the cast swapped, which film works best? See, they say they offer... I mean, the obvious answer, they offered Cruz enemy of the state so obviously they thought he could do it so that's a big plus and I think it Edge of Tomorrow into enemy of the state I think is probably a better fit Lisa Bonet is uh, Emily Blunt mm-hmm. yeah you, she, you wouldn't say no to you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be upset by that at all is you? Lisa Bonet is great yeah, I also I, I can see uh, Will Smith doing Tom Cruise's thing I know they offered it the other way around for um, Anyway, it's oh, yeah. Yeah, you Will Smith fighting robots, as we mentioned earlier. You can do that, certainly. Mm. Um, this next one's a bit redundant. So if you had to add Tom Cruise or The Rock to this movie, which would you choose? <laughs> but then again, I don't really want The Rock in Enemy of the States. So. No, is The Rock, speaking want. of that, though, is The Rock in any of the brackets? Um, I don't think so. No, we didn't do Fast and Furious in the end, did we? No. But Fast Five and that host bracket, potential yeah. winner. Yeah, I think that's why... Uh, is that not why we didn't do it? Because we, we found yeah. a way to show him in elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and finally, we don't have any Rex Ryan Hall of Fame inductees here, do we? No. 
no one for no the Leslie Mann Hall of Famers. And it's Sean's campaigning for Regina Hall to be in. Regina King, sorry. <laughs> no. no. All right. Well, that just about does us, Keen. Like you'd say, we're aiming to be finished by quarter past eight. Instead, we've gone on for two hours and six minutes. So, uh, but I've had fun. So that's the main thing. Hopefully you, too, you have as well, and anyone who yeah. listens to it does, but I've had fun. <laughs> Hopefully, and that's basically yeah. why, why I turn up. Hopefully there's something important for Jack to be doing for him to uh, dip. I'm sure it was something... This missus normally gets his tea on the table about now, doesn't she? Well, uh, she's telling him, come on, don't you have that time, are you? <clears throat> Not like he's off work all Oh, man, poor guy. I wish I was off work. <laughs> But anyway, thank you again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. That does send Edge of Tomorrow into the next round to face Terminator 2. Next week, next week, we have more Tom Cruise as we have Mission Impossible Fallout against Training Day. Day. Yeah, um, you can slap me through the screen if I don't start off next week's episode with uh, you motherfuckers. Okay, (laughs) sounds good. Or I will so, be equally as happy if you shout King Kong ain't got shit on me. I don't know if I've got that. Uh, a bit more low-key for the other one. Mm, that's true. I'm not sure I can do... I don't have enough gravel in my voice to do Denzel there. Mm. But, as I've said, thanks again for listening. Big episode next week. We will be back. Goodbye.